Today's an important day in the history of the church. Uh, today is uh, the day that the Christian church commemorates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we are told about in Acts chapter 2. We call it Pentecost Sunday because the Holy Spirit was poured out 50 days after Passover during the Jewish feast called Pentecost. Uh, this feast is known by a variety of names. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Harvest. And so churches all over the world today are focusing their services on the miraculous events that took place on that momentous day when the early believers encountered the Holy Spirit in a unique and powerful way. A new, a unique, and a powerful way. And the Christian church was born with the conversion of 3,000 people in a single day. What an amazing day uh, that was. And we're going to be looking today at Acts chapter 2 as we continue our Strange Things series. And without a doubt, the events of the day of Pentecost included some strange things, some very strange things. I would say some wonderfully strange things. But before we look at Acts 2 and the wonderful things that occurred there, the, the strange and wonderful things that occurred there on the day of Pentecost, I want to highlight that the events of the day of Pentecost were the fulfillment of prophecy. They were the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament given by the prophet Joel, and they were also the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Joel prophesied the following, and when we say he prophesied, what we essentially mean is that he spoke on behalf of God. And so here's what he said in his prophecy. I think this will be on the screen behind me. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so Joel prophesied the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the unique outpouring of the Spirit that would happen, would come to pass on the day of Pentecost that we're going to be looking at today. Joel prophesied it, and Jesus promised his disciples that they were the people who were going to experience the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In Luke chapter 2, verses 47 through 49, Here's what Jesus said to his disciples, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And he presented, it's presented this way in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, I want you to see that Joel had prophesied it. Jesus promised his disciples that they were the people who were going to experience the fulfillment of the prophecy. And then we get to Acts 2, and the Bible records for us the fulfillment of the prophecy 
of Joel, the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. Now, throughout the morning, I'm going to refer to a variety of things that happened in the book of Acts. Uh, when we're, by the time we're done, I will have referred to uh, everything that happened in uh, the second chapter of Acts. But we're going to limit our reading today to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And so here's how those verses describe the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, when it arrived. Here's what we read. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So again, there's a lot more to talk about from the second chapter of Acts, but this is our starting point, and we see in these four verses a variety of strange things. And so I've titled the message today, Strange Things, Wind, Fire, Power. And what I want to do for a few minutes is simply go through the text and observe the different things that happened on the day of Pentecost. The first thing that we observe is that they were together in one place. They were all together in one place. And here's the real key that I want to highlight from that observation. They were together in one place out of obedience to Christ. He had told them that they should not leave Jerusalem, but that they should wait there for what he had promised them would happen. In Acts 4, uh, in Acts 1 4, Jesus told them, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, there are a lot of gifts that we all receive from God that have no connection to our obedience to him. That's true. It's called common grace. The, the, the Bible tells us that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. For years, I took that verse as bad things happen to the righteous and unrighteous because I personally dislike rain and gloomy days. But it finally dawned on me, no, that's a blessing that rain falls on the just and the unjust. Saint and sinner both enjoy air to breathe. They both enjoy strength in their bodies and the enjoyment of a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset. And so there are all kinds of things, all kinds of blessings and gifts that we receive from God that really are not tied to any obedience to God, but some gifts of God can only be received as we respond to Him in obedience. And so if we want all that God wants us to have, we have to be willing to walk in obedience to Him. And these folks in Acts 2 were doing that. They were together in Jerusalem, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the promised Holy Spirit, out of obedience to Jesus. And their obedience placed them in a position to receive what God had for them. 
Acts 2.2 tells us that as they were together in obedience to Christ, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. We can agree that that qualifies as strange, correct? Yes. Now, here's something that I want to point out. They had no expectation as to what it was going to look like when the promise arrived. They had simply been told that they would receive power through the Holy Spirit, but they had no expectation for how it would happen or what it would look like. This was something that had never happened before. And so you understand that we really can't place ourselves exactly in the position they were in because for all of us, at least if we've been around the church for very long, we've been influenced by how we've seen someone else encounter the Spirit or, or we've been influenced by how a particular church we were a part of tended to respond when the Holy Spirit fell in their midst and they experienced the Spirit's power together. And, and there's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though it can sometimes result in what I'd call emotional imitation of, of the Spirit's power that might not always be authentic. You know, we see one person, uh, you know, their left leg shakes when they come under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we convince ourselves that if we're going to experience the Spirit's power, our left leg has to shake. And that may or may not be true for each individual, but it, it occurs because we saw it happen to someone else. But for these early believers, there was no previous experience to influence their expectation. They simply experienced it as it happened without the filter of previous experiences through which to understand what was going on. I want you to note that Luke doesn't say there was a violent wind. He says there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind and it filled the whole house. Strange thing number one. And then verse 3 tells us of the next strange thing. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now notice the uncertainty of the description. Luke does not write, tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each person. He qualifies it. By noting that those who shared this experience saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What seemed to be. Now I want you to understand something. This was written well after the actual event of the day of Pentecost. Meaning there had been adequate time... For there to be an investigation of what happened. For there to be consideration of what happened. For there to be reflection on what happened. To have thought through it and sought to fully understand what had happened on the day of Pentecost. And still Luke has to say that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. This provides us, I think, with a really good lesson. 
Sometimes God does stuff that even though we experienced it and benefited from it and know it was good and right and from God, we still cannot entirely explain what just happened. What was that? I've thought about it for 30 years now. And the best I can tell you is there was something that seemed like tongues of fire that showed up in the room. Since he's God and we're not, we should be prepared for him to do things that cause us to say, what in the world was that? And then after further reflection, yeah, what in the world was that? And then after a few more years of reflection, really, what in the world was that? Now, scholars have a lot of different takes on exactly what the sound of wind and the what seemed like tongues of fire mean. Um, sorry to inform you, but that goes beyond our purposes for today. Uh, but I want us to note that, simply note that they heard something and they saw something. They had an experience. This was uh, an otherworldly encounter. They heard sound. They saw something that resembled fire. Strange things, wind, fire. And then verse 4 takes this to a whole new level. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they were filled with the Spirit of God. And now filled with the Spirit, they received power to do something that surpassed their natural abilities. In verses 5 through 13, let us know exactly what this empowering to speak in other tongues was. It lets us know they were empowered by the Spirit to speak known languages that they themselves had never learned and did not know how to speak. That's incredible. That is incredible. We know this because the Scripture tells us in Acts 2 that a crowd gathered in response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the text tells us there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So there were many different languages represented in Jerusalem. And they gathered around the disciples because they heard these disciples speaking in their own languages. Verse 5 says... Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. The speaking in other tongues that occurred here in Acts 2 was a supernatural empowerment by the Spirit of God that enabled the disciples to speak languages they had never learned so that the people gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world could hear the wonders of God declared in their native language. This is not the same as the unknown tongues of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which we should talk about some time. And I'm actually considering uh, talking about these different types of tongues when we're at the conclusion of this series. 
But the ability to speak in these known languages that they themselves did not know was a supernatural empowerment that God gave those who had been filled with his spirit. And he gave it to them for a very specific purpose. So that those from all over the world who were in Jerusalem could hear the good news for themselves. Strange things. Wind, fire, power. Supernatural power to do something that you could not do with your own natural abilities. Two more observations of what happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. After they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues, uh, in, in tongues that the visitors to Jerusalem could understand, this set the stage for the Apostle Peter to get up and preach the first sermon of the church era. And in response to his preaching, 3,000 people were saved in a single day. You can read about that in verses 14 through 40 of chapter 2. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it this week. The sermon is a wonderful sermon. And the sermon itself is evidence of the empowering of the Spirit that came from Peter being filled or baptized with the Spirit. If you remember, the last time that we saw Peter before the day of Pentecost, he was being reinstated by Jesus because at the moment of Christ's greatest trial during his three years on earth, Peter would not even admit that he knew Jesus. But now he stands before Jerusalem, empowered by the Spirit, and preaches the first message of the church era, a bold message. This man who would not even admit that he knew Jesus stands before Jerusalem and confronted people with their sin and their mistreatment of Jesus and called them to repentance. This is what being baptized with the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit does. It changes us from people afraid to speak up for Jesus to people who boldly bear witness to Christ. So being filled with the Spirit resulted in empowering to speak languages the believers had never learned. And empowering to preach a bold and powerful sermon. And then the final observation we make from Acts 2 is that the church was born. 3,000 people were added to the ranks of Christ's disciples. In verses 41 through 47 of Acts 2 tell us about the beginning of them uh, starting to live as a community of believers, being formed into a church. The believers were filled with the Spirit. And, and, and I want to drive home this point, that the filling of the Spirit happened for a very specific purpose. And we see this even in the prophecy of Joel and the promise of Jesus. By the way, I want to acknowledge something today, and that is that we use a lot of different terms to describe what happened on the day of Pentecost. So one of the terms we'll use is we'll say that they were filled with the Spirit. Another term that gets used is that they were baptized in the Spirit. I've said multiple times today already they were empowered by the Spirit. All of these different terms are referring to the same thing. 
And every once in a while, people come along who think that we kind of need to nail it down a little tighter than that, that we need to decide what we're going to call this event. And I just suggest that that Jesus himself isn't really that uptight about what we uh, call this event and how we describe it, because you might notice that in Luke 24, he referred to what happened at Pentecost as being clothed with power. And then in Acts 1, he referred, referred to it as being baptized with the Spirit, but then he also uh, referred to it as when the Holy Spirit would come on you. And so Jesus himself used multiple terms for this same event. And so when you hear these different things, they're all just terms to describe this same thing that we read about in Acts chapter 2. But, for the, purpose, uh, but the purpose for which people were and are baptized, filled, empowered, or clothed by the Spirit is very clear in Scripture. And you start out by seeing it in the prophecy of Joel. In verses 28 and 29, which we started with and, and told of uh, the outpouring of God's Spirit, they then are followed a few verses later in verse 32 with this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the key. The, the prophecy of the outpouring of God's Spirit was linked in Joel's prophecy to people calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. It's a link between those two things. Spirit poured out, people getting saved. Then in both Luke 24 and Acts 1, Christ's promise of Holy Spirit empowerment both reference gospel proclamation. In Luke 24, 47 through 48, we read repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then he goes on, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father promised, but wait until you're clothed with power from on high. So again, the promise of the outpouring of the Spirit is connected to repentance and forgiveness of sins. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So again, it is all linked. The outpouring of the Spirit with the proclamation of the gospel, repentance, forgiveness of sins, salvation. And so we can say with confidence that the baptism, filling, empowering of the Spirit is for the purpose of fueling gospel proclamation and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And here's what I want to highlight about that. Because I think this gets misunderstood in the Christian church a lot. Being baptized in the Spirit is not just for the believer to have an emotional, supernatural encounter with God, though that is wonderful, and we should have it, and it is personally edifying, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the purpose of the encounter, rightly understood biblically, is so that we get power from on high to go out and actually do something that advances the cause of Christ in the world. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. So let's take a few minutes and apply what we've observed here in Acts 2 to our lives in 2019. 
there are some really concrete applications that we can take from Acts 2 and apply to our lives today. Here's the first one. We should desire and pursue all that God has for us. The people who gathered in Jerusalem were already followers of Jesus they, the, in the upper room. They, they were already people who believed on him. That's why they were there. They belonged to him. Uh, at least uh, many of them, I, I would say probably all of them, were already indwelled by his spirit in the sense that like he had done with his disciples, he had breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. And, and so in, in that sense, they had already been indwelled by his spirit. But God had more of himself that he wanted them to experience. And so Jesus asked them to go and wait for the outpouring of the spirit. And they did not satisfy themselves with what they already had of God. They didn't satisfy themselves that they already belonged to him. That they had been converted. That they had been regenerated. They didn't satisfy themselves with that. But they went and did what he said. They, they desired more. They desired all that God had. And so they went to Jerusalem and they waited for the more. Many people in Christian churches, including this one, including the only person on the stage, have satisfied themselves with much less than what they should be satisfied with. We satisfy ourselves with much less of God than what we should be satisfied with. Yes, I believe that we receive the Spirit of God when we believe. But Jesus said to people who had already believed in him, go wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized with the Spirit, clothed with the Spirit. If you haven't received the Spirit, if you haven't had this fillings uh, experience, this this baptism experience, this empowering experience, since you've believed on Christ, you need to desire and pursue that. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. They would encounter people, the disciples would encounter people who believed on Jesus. And one of their first questions was, have you received the Spirit since you believed? There was something more than just belief. There was something more than just conversion. There was something more than that initial interaction of the Spirit that happens when we place our faith in Christ that God had for them and that they needed. And we need to desire and we need to pursue that. What that looks like might be unique to each person. Maybe you'll hear the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Maybe you'll have a vision of flames of fire. I, I, I read an account this week uh, from John Piper, interestingly, of uh, someone who had had a, an encounter of the Spirit where they saw something that Piper described as what he imagines 
uh, was seen on the day of Pentecost. So you may have an experience like that. Quite possibly you won't. But the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit will always be a powerful encounter with God where you know that something really amazing has happened. Something out of the ordinary has happened. Something new and wonderful and powerful has happened to you. And if you've not had that kind of experience, you should not be satisfied with not having had it. You need to desire it and you need to pursue it. Secondly, we need the empowering of the Spirit for the purpose of gospel proclamation. The empowering at Pentecost did not only happen at Pentecost. The early believers were repeatedly filled with the Spirit. You can read about that through Acts. And we need to have an ongoing encountering of the Spirit We need to be filled again and again and again with the Spirit. We need to be empowered over and over and over again throughout our lives. I don't know about you, but I leak Holy Spirit really fast. So we need to be refilled, renewed over and over and over again. When I look at the state of our nation, when I look at the delusions that the enemy has convinced millions upon millions of people of, including some who call themselves Christians, I have to tell you that I am tempted toward great pessimism. I am tempted to wonder how in the world people this blind are ever going to see the glorious light of Christ. Here's what I will tell you is the way it's not going to happen. It is not going to happen with a church relying on human ingenuity and human effort. Now, we apply our ingenuity. That's from God. We put effort into it. That strength is from God to do that. So this isn't, we're not against ingenuity. We're not against effort. This isn't a do nothing and watch God work kind of a, Kind of a statement. It's not like that. But the only way it's going to happen is as Christians allow themselves to be continually experiencing and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we go out into the marketplace in His strength, not our own strength. That's the only chance we have. That is the only chance that we have. The challenge in front of us is greater than we are. And so it requires the empowering of God's Spirit. Here's the third thing, the third application. When we are baptized, filled, empowered by the Spirit, it will be a powerful and life-changing experience. So listen, our faith is not based on emotion and subjective experiences. It is based on the objective truth of God's Word. That said, emotion and subjective experiences are part of our walk with God. We are emotional beings. And while just like Luke couldn't fully explain all the details of the day of Pentecost, 
we may not always be able to explain our, uh, to be able to explain our encounters with God. But even though we may not always be able to explain them or make sense of them, we still need Acts 2 types of experiences, uh, experiences of God where we come away from them knowing that we know that we know that we encountered God and that we have been changed by the encounter. If your experience of faith has all been head knowledge and has not made its way to your heart, has not resulted in actually experiencing God, you need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You see, God is alive. And so you can actually experience Him. You can actually encounter Him. You can actually be changed by Him. You can be empowered by Him. You might have to seek after Him. You, you might have to get away from the daily distractions. You might have to get into a place where you can spend some time waiting on Him. You might have to be obedient in some area of life that you've been unwilling to be obedient. Or you might have to do something that doesn't make sense. Because maybe you feel like God is saying to you, hey, if you do X, you're going to encounter me in a way that you haven't encountered me before. And X doesn't make a lot of sense to you. But maybe that's what you're going to have to do. To encounter God in the way that we all need to encounter Him throughout our lives. Some effort <coughs> and obedience might be necessary. But you need to be willing to do that to have a life-changing encounter with God. Fourth, we have to be open to when the Holy Spirit's activity seems really strange to us. That we don't dismiss it, that we don't write it off. That we don't say, hey, I am not doing any more of that stuff. We have to be really careful of that. Sounds of violent wind and something looking like tongues of fire is strange stuff. Speaking in a language you've never learned is really strange stuff. But if you close yourself off to everything that surpasses your natural mind's ability to process and to neatly explain, you're going to miss out on much of the work of the Spirit. I grew up in a church tradition that had a lot of emphasis on the experiential aspects of Christianity. But my own personal preferences and tendencies... Uh, led me to naturally kind of shy away from that kind of stuff. Uh, some excesses that I witnessed caused me to shy away from that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you feel I've shied away from it too much. We have a strong contingent of people in our congregation wanting Brian to turn much more Pentecostal than what he is. But we have to remain open. So if you're like me, and, and kind of naturally you say, oh, I don't know. And if you're like me, and you've seen some excesses uh, in, in this area, and so that's caused you to shrink back, you have to be willing to say, look, I have, I have my stuff I have to deal with here, but I have to remain open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I have to remain open to the power of the Holy Spirit to do things I don't quite understand. When I first joined the Vineyard Movement, 
for all of the spiritual experiences that I'd witnessed in my Pentecostal upbringing, the vineyard had a practice that I had really never experienced in my Pentecostal upbringing, and that is that they shared pictures with each other. So in my Pentecostal upbringing, a lot of people would come up to you and say, hey, thus says the Lord, and then give you some kind of prophetic uh, utterance. But in the vineyard, people would come up to you and say, hey, um, I, I got a picture, and I think this picture might be for you. And I was skeptical. In some ways, I didn't really like this practice. Some of the pictures were very strange that people would give. And if I'm being honest, in my own mind, I really sort of like wrote off a lot of the pictures. You know, people, I would hear one person share a picture and say, I think it's for you, you know, you, not me, somebody else. And I think, oh yeah, whatever. That is just so crazy. There's no way God's behind that. That's just, just being real. Just being real. Then one day, someone gave me a picture that they had seen that they believed for me was for me. And, and the weirdness of this picture was absolutely off the charts. Off the charts. They told me that they saw pieces of a puzzle coming together. And that just as the pieces were about to fit together, a snake slithered through them and prevented them from coming together. That is a weird picture. That's a weird picture. And here's the thing. I instantaneously knew exactly what it meant. God spoke through that very weird picture and communicated something very powerful to me. The person who gave me that weird picture has been a part of our church for 14 years, but that picture predates this church. The person who gave me that picture was Gina Staten, who is here today right over there. God used Gina Staten to help open up skeptical Brian Bird to pictures Weird ones. Weird pictures. And here in a little bit, we're going to baptize her son, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit power. The picture was strange, but the Holy Spirit used it to speak very clearly to me. Sometimes God does strange stuff. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, told a story of one day getting on a uh, commercial airline to fly across the country. And I, I might have little details of the story wrong, but the, the gist of it is, is correct. And he sat down next to a gentleman and he saw written across the gentleman's forehead a name. And he said, hey, what does, and he said the name, what, what does, or no, I think the way he said it is, hey, who is, and he said the name. And it was the name of a woman that the man was having an affair with. 
John Wimber had never met the man. But God was doing something. The Holy Spirit moves in strange and unusual ways. We have to be open to it. We have to be open to it when we're on the receiving end of it, like I was when Gina gave this, uh, this picture word. And we have to be willing to risk looking strange in order to step out in faith when God directs us to do something that doesn't quite compute in our natural mind. We have to be willing to do this stuff. And here's the final thing. The experience of the Spirit must always remain grounded in scriptural truth. In all of the talk about being open to experiences and strange activity connected to the power of the Spirit, we remain at all times constrained by Scripture. Our experiences can never be viewed to supersede the Scriptures. Our experiences can never conflict with the Scriptures. Our experience of the Spirit must always be grounded in the Scriptures. It is not by accident that after the strange events of Acts 2, Peter stood up and as he entered into this first sermon of the Christian era, he tied what was happening to the Scriptures. He reminded them that what they were experiencing was what the prophet Joel had prophesied. He tied it to the Scripture. And we must do that as well. Today there is a movement in, in much of what is called the church to say that as we seek after the Spirit of God, we are free to disconnect ourselves from the constraints of biblical truth. And here's exactly what they'll tell you. And this is becoming more and more prevalent. They'll say... That's what God said then, but God is still speaking and we must respond to the active spirit of the voice of God today. They're right on one part of that. The voice of the spirit is still speaking today. But the voice of the spirit never contradicts or conflicts with the word of God. It doesn't because it can't, because they are one and the same. So we must experience the Spirit while remaining grounded in scriptural truth. My appeal today is that each and every one of us would take these applications I've shared over the last few minutes and we would start to apply them to our lives desire and pursue everything God has for you. Understand that being filled and baptized with the Spirit is a powerful encounter with God that is life-changing and ministry-empowering and something that you need and go after it. Understand that the task before us is too big for us and we need the empowering of the Spirit for the mission that we have as a church. We are not going to be able to reach people in our increasingly pagan culture in our own strength and power. We just cannot do it. 
understand that the Spirit's activity can often blow our minds, can often seem really strange, but stay open to it even if you're not sure what happened or what is happening, or even if on further reflection, you're still not entirely certain what happened, as long as it does not conflict with the, the, the uh, scriptures, with the Bible, remain open to what God is doing. And once again, filter all those experiences through biblical truth. Must remain grounded in that. Let's stand. 